Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia M. Dooley. The time is 10 minutes after 10 late night conversations on the legal conversation. Like I said, we are going to be talking about our rights currently in, under these lockdown circumstances. We are talking to Professor Franz Folyun, who's the director of Center for Human Rights Executive Committee. He's also a professor of international human rights law at the University of Pretoria. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Franz. Uh, thank you very much, Patricia, and uh, welcome uh, also to your listeners listening in. Now, Professor Franz, uh, what I'd like us to please talk about is what our rights are currently as South Africans under the lockdown uh, circumstances, and maybe paint the scenario for us, um, a Human Rights uh, Act as opposed to the Disaster Management Act. What are the two differences? Well, I think the good news in a way is that uh, you know, there are two broad approaches that a state can take in a situation like this. The one is to declare a state of emergency. And now for us as South Africans, that, you know, raises uh, bad memories often about apartheid days. In a state of emergency, the rights of the citizens are really very seriously curtailed. They kind of, um, that leads to a suspension of rights, essentially. That means in, in, in short term uh, that uh, citizens or nationals cannot, people cannot invoke uh, human rights to contest any of the government's actions. The other way that the, the government can go about is, is the way that our government did, and that is to use legislation, in this case the uh, Disaster Management Act. That means that uh, our rights, yes, are limited, but the limitation of our rights are all still to be supervised and to be assessed against the Constitution. So none of our rights have been made to disappear during this uh, period, if it were a state of emergency, in a sense, some of our rights would have been not available to us. So the bottom line is, yes, we've experienced uh, serious limitations to our rights, but there is still the rule of law, the constitutional state in which we live is um, intact, and we can still challenge, and uh, the law should be framed by the values and the rights in the Constitution. Now, when we are talking about the current laws under the Disaster Management Act, what sort of uh, laws or rights are available to us? Uh, also making sure that we don't infringe on what the uh, Disaster Management Act is posing for us as South Africans in these current trying times. Yeah, well, I think we're all familiar now with the, with the notion of regulation. So that's, that's kind of interesting because there's um, one broad law, the Disaster Management Act, but in terms of that law, the various ministers uh, can propose these regulations. So our rights are essentially um, limited or, you know, constricted, if you like, by these regulations. And uh, in other words, each of these regulations have to conform and have to be embedded in the objective of this law, which is obviously to ensure that the uh, virus spread is uh, minimized, is eradicated, and that the effect of the a virus is minimized in, in our lives. So, um, you know, the, 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 the regulations really control our lives and the regulations find their power, their legal authority in the Disaster Management Act. So I think the Disaster Management Act um, formulations can um, be contested, but I think that is not very, very likely. It's more whether when the various ministers enact certain regulations, whether they actually act in line with the uh, imperatives of, you know, curbing the spread of the disease. In other words, is there a rational connection between the objective that is being served and the specific measure 
that is being taken under the Disaster Management Act. Professor Fulgian, you say, well, when we take a look at these particular acts, uh, we need to make sure that there's a rational uh, connection between the act and the actual uh, law that's been put together. But let's take a look at, for instance, the the rights of people to be able to purchase things that they require, such as liquor and cigarettes, of which that they currently cannot get. Uh, Is there any relation between these two? Yes, that is that is certainly. I, I would I would think that um, perhaps you know we should take each case on its own merits. You know, Let, let's take for example alcohol, the sale of alcohol. Yes, so you know we always work. You know, it sounds a bit loyally, but it is important. It's like a proportionality test. Huh? On the one hand, your rights may be limited, so your right, for example, to um, trade or perhaps your freedom of movement uh, is being constrained. But the state must then show us what is the objective that's being served. And we all know the objective is to curb the spread of a disease here. But then it must also show how this particular measure, so for example, the sale, a total ban on the sale of alcohol, how does that now lead to the objective being served? And I personally think that, you know, as, as, as people living in South Africa, at the very least, the government perhaps should do more to, you know, take us along. They should articulate very clearly to us in each instance when a contentious limitation on our rights will be put in place. We have the right to know how does the government get to that point. It should have this articulation of the objective and the, uh, the, the means and how these two are linked very clearly. It should articulate it. It should not come out, uh, you know, um, in contradictory ways that unfortunately have been the case. It should be clear and concise because our rights may be limited, but the government bears the onus. It is the government who is um, now in control of the proceedings, and it's on their shoulders to convince us, take us along. And if we're not convinced, we're going to become restless. People are going to take cases to courts, and they will contest the, um, the measures that are taken. So it's very much also an issue of transparency and uh, openness and articulating the positions that governments take, not acting as if they are just a benevolent nanny, you know, kind of acting in our best interest, but treating us like grown-ups and telling us exactly um, how they arrive at certain conclusions. Do we feel that uh, the communication has been at that level where we are being explained to as South African citizens as to why certain uh, laws have been put in place? I think, I mean, broadly speaking, I think there is an effort and it's difficult. There are different levels. Sometimes you speak to the population as a whole. Sometimes you speak to uh, specific, uh, you know, groups. But I think that it has not been sufficient. So we see, for example, now a number of cases also using um, pre-existing legislation like the um, the access to information legislation to force the government to provide certain uh, bits of information. For example, in certain um, health departments, there's a reluctance to uh, provide full statistical details about where the um, virus is showing its face. Um, and I think those are details that we are, you know, people in South Africa are entitled to receive. It's not for the government to, to withhold this in our best interest, saying that perhaps, you know, withholding it would um, minimize the risk of people getting into panic mode. No, the government has to articulate, has to communicate and we have to be informed about how to handle the information that we um, should be able to be receiving. I mean, we look at um, issues such as um, 
church gatherings or religious and uh, traditional gatherings being banned. And a lot of South Africans are obviously um, not too pleased about this. Yes, we understand it's to curb the virus, but at the end of the day, we feel as if our right of movement has been impeached. Can then South Africans come together, um, either religiously or traditionally, and say, well, we are going to come up against this particular uh, ruling for us to be able to gather or come together in our churches or do our, relig- our traditional rites? Well, it is certainly everyone's right. And again, it, it, is, it is any group's right to ask for that articulation. But I think it will be more difficult for a group that just wants to come together. Because, I mean, the essence of this is that this is an airborne disease. It is an infectious disease that is transmitted, you know, in an airborne way. So the rationality of, of, of a measure that tries to prevent this airborne uh, transmission to take place, that is a, an easier case to prove. But if you take measures, for example, it's a, you know, um, banning alcohol use or, 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 or buying alcohol, that's more difficult to prove that because alcohol in itself is not linked to the nature of the disease, namely that it's an airborne infectious disease of which we want to curb the, uh, you know, propagation of. You know, Professor uh, Feldjian, I've got some WhatsApps here and I'd like to encourage everyone at home who's listening to please send uh, the WhatsApps through to uh, 0614104107 or even call us on 0891104207. One of uh, the listeners is saying, Prof, what about our religious rights? Yes, I mean, that all our rights are important to us, right? So we have rights to freedom of movement, people have rights to dignity, uh, the right to practice our religion is a central right. But I think, I, I think we all have to just accept, you know, that the principle of limitation of rights is always um, going to be uh, in place. That, that is non-negotiable, if you like. Even religious organizations, for example, fall within the parameters of state laws, right? So if a church wants to build a building, you know, it has to conform with the building regulations. So, you know, st- churches live in the, in the real world of, of the constitutional state of South Africa, right? So if it is in the best interest, and it is proven and shown to be in the best interest, and it is evidence-based and provided for in, in a convincing argument, then we have to accept that that um, limitation, even on the, our right to, um, you know, uh, exercise our freedom of religion, even that can be limited as long as these um, justifications and proportionality um, is in place. Now, Prince says, I just want to know, what is the human rights say at this time of crisis in terms of landlords and tenants who are not able to pay rent due to pandemic happening right now? Yes, I'm, I'm not an expert necessarily on every aspect of law, so I apologize in advance. But the point is, I think that what one needs to see here is that essentially we have uh, what, what in law could, could be called a state of necessity, isn't it? Because if, even if you look at, um, at, at, at situations like, like these, situations, for example, of, I mean, I'm just using another example, people who are perhaps undocumented migrants. Yes, we understand that they are not perhaps legally in South Africa, but for the moment we are going to suspend, as it were, the um, impetus to prosecute them or, you know, uh, you know uh, take criminal measures against them, but ensure their um, subsistence and their livelihood so that they would also be able to survive this pandemic and they would also not be a kind of a conduit to spread the virus further. So for people who are in, 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 in housing need and uh, who face eviction, clearly the same should apply, that uh, when this situation prevails, 
the law should uh, allow exceptions. So things that are otherwise unlawful could, in a state of necessity, in which arguably we are, be uh, excused or be declared not to be illegal. Sure, we've got a lot of people coming in here on WhatsApp and uh, one is saying why Begitele was apologizing to Muslim community, yet he never apologized to police who threw away umkomboti, which is a traditional Zulu beer, and disrespected our culture. Um, and then uh, another one says, uh, Patricia, I don't understand a government that can stop an adult from smoking while the police and military carry on buying cigarettes and smoke. And this is from Pasido uh, Moroba. You know, so a lot of people are seeing a double standards here. Yes, and I think, you know, it is very difficult in a state where you have these lockdown measures in place and you depend on some form of force to, to, to impose your government's will and the directions to, this, to, the, to, the, to the citizens and people in the country. But at the same time, you cannot have the lockdown and it, its consequences outweigh the harm that the virus itself um, could cause to society. And that personally, from, for me, from a human rights perspective, is really worrying. Because I think there's a certain way in which we get fixated so on, on the virus and the lockdown and the curfew that we forget that people have so many other human rights, that they have rights even in the context of health. It's not only the virus. People still have heart disease. People still have HIV infection. People still have malaria and the ordinary flu. So if we, you know, use all our state apparatus to just fixate and focus on this one aspect of the right to health, we may lose sight and people may even die in greater numbers because of other preventable health uh, issues, which perhaps we lose sight of during, during this time of focusing on COVID-19. And definitely a conversation that needs to continue because we are still under lockdown. We are still um, haunted by this particular virus and pandemic that is worldwide spreading. And uh, thank you so very much, Professor Foljun, for giving us your insight. I just wish we had more time because the questions are, are just too many for us to answer at this particular time. But we really appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, talking to you and uh, good night and thank you so much. SAFM leading the conversation, late night conversation with me, Patricia Andouli.